Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Everybody doing good today? Everybody doing good today? Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Um, all right. All right, we don't do this very often, but I'd like you to greet those around you and welcome them this morning. Everybody stand up. No, everybody stand up if you can and greet those around you. All right, we got to get some energy in this place, guys. A little bit of energy in this place. A little bit of energy in this place. All right. All right. You guys are making it a little awkward. Don't make it awkward. We have visitors. Don't make it awkward. We have visitors. All right. Don't make it awkward. We have visitors. Yeah. Hey, listen. um, I know that you guys didn't know this. Wendy, can you please have a seat? We're started. She's going to kill me. Um, Anyway, I know she's going to kill me. Anyway, listen, you guys, I I love, I love getting text messages from you guys during the week. And I love getting questions and I love getting comments or whatever, even if they're negative, which is totally fine. uh, I just delete them. But anyway, but um, I do like getting those things. And I want to show you guys something. I don't, I don't, I think that it's only fair that you guys understand the blessings that I get from seeing really cool stuff, okay? So can we kill the lights? And I'm gonna move over here for a second so everyone can see this. Can you check this out? I know you guys didn't know we had a warrior in our midst, but look at that. Look at that. How cool is that? That is so cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That is so amazing. He's not going to be three foot tall, okay? Those are, I don't know what those are called, but they, he told me, but I don't know what they're called. But they're for training purposes. Mitchell Davis is back there in the back. Can you guys show him how proud we are of him? Can you guys do that? Can you guys show him how proud we are of him? That is so stinking cool. Yes. Yes. That is going to be awesome. I cannot wait. Thank you all so much. Mitchell, you're a warrior, my friend. And I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. And uh, you're teaching all of us the, just the depths of overcoming and the, what it takes to be an overcomer. I think that is so cool. I think it's so cool. I really do. So, hey, listen, you guys, I want you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, please turn to John chapter 7. We're going to be looking at John chapter 7, verses 25 through 36 I want to give you a quick, uh, a quick background ch- uh, check with this, though. We're going through John. We're in chapter 7. Uh, we've been looking at this, this whole series of events that happened, starting with him feeding the 5,000. And it's gone into now he went to the festival. He, he, went to the, he wasn't going to go to the festival of shelters because, his, because everybody's motives for him going were wrong. And he wanted to not go because of their motives. But he eventually ended up going in secret. 
And then we go through that whole process and we get to, we get to a, sesh, a section here where there is some questioning and some confusion. And I want to tell you first that John is separated into two different sections. Sections 1 through 12 is a book of signs and that's all that he did. And then sections 13 through 21 is the book of glory. And the book of glory is him giving his life over uh, uh, for us and defeating death. Now we've been going through this series and I want you to look at, uh, we got John chapter 20. Can we put that up behind me? It says, but these are written so that you may continue to do what? To believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Let's take a look at John chapter 7, verse 25, and I'll be reading and it'll be behind me on the screen. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man that they are trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? But how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. And while Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out. And it's interesting because Jesus knew their thoughts. He said this, yes, you know me and you know where I come from, but I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true and you don't know him. So you know me and you know where I come from. So you know me personally and you know where I come from. You know where I was born. And then he says, but you don't know him. And by saying that, we know that they don't know Jesus then. If they don't know God, because if, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And so if you believe in Jesus, then you have connection with the Father. And if they don't know the Father, then they don't know Christ. This is, but I know him because I come from him and he sent me to you. Well, then the leaders are going to get involved. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. And that's a miracle, by the way. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous than this man has done? When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things because they were getting wearied, and the leader, leading priests sent temple guards to arrest him. But then Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little while longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me. You will search for me but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going. Again puzzled, the Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go, they asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews and other lands? Maybe he'll even teach the Greeks. What does he mean when he says, you will search for me but not find me and you cannot go where I am going? This text shows a clear confusion amongst both the people and the religious people. And what you'll see is, is you'll see that when the masses are confused, they will start making up things of who Jesus is. In the absence of the truth, a good story will come out. Now, I want you to understand something. Whenever you read the first part of the text and it says, hey, the Messiah will just appear. We're not going to know where he comes from. That was the belief at the time. What they thought was, was that they would not know the Messiah, but that the Messiah would suddenly appear 
out of nowhere and would then begin his earthly ministry and eventually take over as an earthly king. Uh, Of course, they clearly didn't know the Bible because there's countless scriptures that we've even looked at in this series in the Old Testament that discuss the birth, the life, and the death of a suffering servant. Religious leaders, they were convinced that, that, that they were convinced that the Messiah would come and deliver them from the occupation of the Romans. See, they couldn't look at an eternity level. They were looking at what was in front of them right now. And what they did is, is they tried to take the scriptures that they knew and they tried to make it, they tried to form it into what their situation was currently at the time. They had their own framework and they would operate in it to the end. And so when they heard the crowd saying, wait a minute, uh, we know him and we understand where he comes from, but is, is a Messiah going to do greater things than this? Is there going to be more signs than this? And then they got worried because the power that they had would have been taken away. The Messiah was within their midst and they did not recognize him. And why? Well, because it didn't fit into their framework. It did not fit into their framework. It didn't fit into the framework that they had for what they thought the Messiah was going to be. It's amazing to me that these people would commit their whole life, they would commit their whole life to to the, the, the Old Testament and to the Scriptures and to the Pentateuch and all of the things, and they would memorize it, yet they didn't get it when the Messiah was clearly in front of them. All of the prophecies that we've looked at, all of the prophecies that were created, and they didn't get it. Because what they wanted to do is, is they wanted to create their own Jesus. Are you with me? They wanted to create their own Jesus. And the people there wanted to create their own Jesus. Because the Jesus that they're looking at is not the powerful king that had come to take over the world. The Jesus that they're looking at is not the one that they had in their minds. And so some of his actions were offensive to them because it didn't fit in their framework. It didn't fit in their box. In studying this this week, something very clear came out to me, and it's this. Not only did these people try to create their own Jesus, not only did these people try to create their own frameworks, not only were the Jewish leaders trying to create their own Jesus and their own framework, not only that, but I had to admit that we too, right now, create our own Jesus. You see, a lot of people think they got Jesus figured out. And so what they do is, is they take Jesus and they put it in their own framework. And then they try to say, yes, this is who Jesus is. And so today, I thought I would go over seven Jesuses that we create. Seven Jesuses that we create. The people here in the scriptures, the the public wanted a Jesus that would come and feed them like we saw. Uh, They wanted Burger King, not Jesus the King. They would come and feed them and would protect them and be there. The Jewish people wanted uh, a a Jesus that would come and take over 
and would restore them to their, their proper place within the temple and within the society and would restore the Jewish people back to the promised land. Those are the people that they want. But there's other ones too. I want to tell you something. I used to go to the county fair in Humphreys County, Tennessee. In Humphreys County, there was three things that you would do for fun. You would go to football games, which only lasted about ten times. And then you would, when, when football season would over, the fair would usually come in around, usually around October-ish, okay, October, the fair would come in, and they would have a week-long fair, and I loved going to the fair. And you may say, well, gosh, that's really cool. I like going to the fair, too. I had a specific reason to go to the fair, all right? The food. Are you with me? The food. I love going to the to fair for the food. And... I loved this stuff right here. This is cotton candy. How many people love cotton candy? Raise your hand. How many people are horrible liars who would sit in church and lie that you don't love cotton candy? And keep your sorry hand down. I, I pray for your soul if you don't like cotton candy. Because when I was eight or nine years old, this was yummy goodness straight from heaven. I know it was from probably some guy who, no telling where he had been before making it. But here we are. I was loving the cotton candy. Are you with me? I love the cotton candy. I love the snow cones. They were awesome. I love the corn dogs. I love corn dogs. I'm doing, I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple, and they're going to Gatlinburg for their honeymoon. And I so hope they go by Fanny Farkles on the strip in Gatlinburg and get a foot-long corn dog. How many people know what I'm talking about when I say Fanny Farkle? I do want it noted that a lot of the people that raise their hand, a lot of the guys that raise their hand are gravity challenged. I'll just say that, all right? Um, the ladies, not so much, but the guys for sure. Um, uh, I can say that because it was only a couple of them and they're, they're my buddies. I loved cotton candy and I remember getting it sticky all over me and it would get all over me. How many people like cotton candy? Raise your hand. I want to see adults. I'm not giving them to kids. Adults. We don't want to. All right. Adults, you get some cotton candy, okay? I'm not going to walk to you. You're going to have to come to me, okay? Come on up here and get some cotton candy. You like pink or blue? Which one? Blue. It's the same taste and everything. There's no difference. It's just the color, right? It's just all right, who else likes cotton candy? Who else? Who else? Who else likes cotton candy? You raised your hand, didn't you? You raised your hand? All right, can you come get some cotton candy? You get the pink, okay? You, I'm talking to you. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. And here's the thing. Don't let Doug eat this cotton candy, all right? It's cotton candy. All right. So you may be thinking, okay, great. Why does this have to do with who the Jesus we create? Can I tell you the first Jesus that we create? The first Jesus that people in society create is cotton candy Jesus. Cotton candy Jesus. Well, I love cotton candy. And it, you, when you eat it and it dissolves in your mouth and it tastes so good, it tastes so good going down. But here's the thing. There's no nutritional value to cotton candy. And there's no substance once it's... There's no substance. There's nothing feeling about, a feeling about cotton candy. There's nothing that fills you up about cotton candy. It's just hollow. And today, a lot of us want a Jesus that tastes good, 
and that's easy to digest. A Jesus that does not talk about sin. A Jesus that does not talk about repentance. A Jesus that does not talk about obedience. We want cotton candy Jesus. They want a sugary, sappy Jesus that wants you to know this. That you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. That's what they want. They want to know that Jesus is on your side. They want you to know that you are better than whatever. They want you to know. And what they do is, is they pump you full of motivational speaking for cotton candy Jesus. And they leave out half the story. One of the most famous verses in the scriptures is Jeremiah 29, 11. Can we put up Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. They give you a hope and a future. Keep that right there. They give you a hope and they give you a future. Now, man, that sounds great, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound great? It does. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put it on my bumper sticker. I'm going to, when you go to my Facebook page, it's going to say Jeremiah 20, 11. God has a plan for me. Let's read verses 12 through 14. It says this. In those days, here you go, he has a plan, but here's the caveat. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. So God's going to listen, but here's the caveat. If you look for me wholeheartedly. You know what that means? That means if you rid yourself, if you rid yourself of all your desires, if you rid yourself I have a hope and a future for you if you will seek me wholeheartedly. Let's continue. I will be found by you when you seek me wholeheartedly. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and I will bring you home again to your own land. So here's what he's saying. He's saying this. I will do these things if you seek me wholeheartedly. No one wants to hear what's in verses 12 through 14 because it takes an effort on our part to seek him wholeheartedly, to give things up. And cotton candy Jesus is thriving in America. It is. You see, here's why. If I get up here every Sunday and I give you cotton candy, if I do that every Sunday, you're going to like what I say and you'll ask more people to come. Because if there's nothing hard that I tell you, then it's cotton candy. If I don't, if I don't tell you the whole truth of Jeremiah 29, 11, if I don't read 12, 13, 14, if I don't do that, I'm only telling you half the story. And a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers, they only want to tell you half the story. You know why? Because all you want to hear is cotton candy Jesus. Cotton candy Jesus is very popular today. You know what the second Jesus that's popular today? Genie in a bottle Jesus. Genie in a bottle Jesus. I used to watch I Dream of Genie. And whenever, she'd usually screw things up. But whenever he, he the, the captain would need something, I... 
I dream a dream of Jenny would pop out and there you go. And they would, it's one of these things where you ask and you've got problems and you just want to go to Jesus and say, hey, listen, I want to rub the Jesus lamp. I want Jesus to pop out and I want him to fix whatever problem I have. We saw this a few, a few chapters ago. They were sitting on a hillside and they were all hungry. And all of a sudden, Jesus fed them miraculously. And Jesus went to the other side. And they followed him around because lo and behold, they had got hungry again. And they walked before him and they rubbed the I dream of genie, the genie Jesus. And they expected him to pop out and meet whatever need they have. Often, Jesus for them isn't something to be followed. It's something to be used for their own gain. You see, Jesus is not to be followed Jesus is to be used. And when things are going good, there's no reason for Jesus. But when trouble comes, suddenly they become super spiritual. And they tell Jesus, Jesus, if you will only get me out of this mess, I will blank. And you can fill in the blank. And promises are made and are eventually broken because the issue was resolved and they see no more room for Jesus. I cannot tell you how many people that I have walked through in a crisis that were not people that came to this church or any other church I've been through. But they needed Jesus and they walked through in a crisis and they got on their knees and they prayed and they earnestly prayed and they sought after Jesus. And as soon as the crisis was over, they went right back to the same exact life they had before. There was no impact. You know, it's one of the things where Jesus, you know, Jesus was, he heals he heals the ten lepers and as they're walking, one turned around and came back. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Oh, well, they're, they're going on their way. They're going to the priest and showing to the priest and getting healed, and they're going to go about their life. You've already answered their prayer. They don't need you anymore. A lot of us use Jesus in that way. You follow him until the crisis is over, and you don't come back until the next crisis. Now, there is a close friend of genie in a bottle Jesus, and that's ATM Jesus. Can I tell you something? Guys, I have been hesitant to share this with you because I was very nervous. I really didn't know what you would think. I didn't know if you would scorn me. I didn't know what you would think. But about four months ago, I started praying fervently. And I felt strongly, strongly that God gave me a vision that I needed a new car. It wasn't just any car. He, as a matter of fact, Lynn, do we have the picture? Can I show the car that God showed me I needed? <laughs> What's so funny? I don't get it. A 2022 orange Corvette. I need this vehicle. And God told me I needed this vehicle. So for the first time today, I want to pass the plate today. I want to pass the plate. And you give whatever God give, lays on your heart. And if you don't give a lot, I hope you feel guilty. 
for the first time ever at Real Church, we're going to pass a plate because I need this car. ATM Jesus. If you're watching from home, that was a joke. ATM Jesus. ATM Jesus. Well, we know ATM Jesus. It's when someone gets up and says, I want, oh, 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 I mean, I need something. And so they're going to go to Jesus. And supposedly he showers you with blessing. And it's his will for you to be rich. And on and on and on and on and on. ATM Jesus. And we see this all the time. And there are poor people who feel like that this is God's will. That someone standing before them deserves all this wealth. I'm going to tell you something. If you see me getting wealthy off of you, fire me. Run me out on a rail. Okay? Please do that. Because that's not what I believe at all. Do I believe that Jesus wants us to be poor? I don't. But I do believe he wants us to be poor in spirit. I, believe, I do believe he wants us to help the poor. I do believe he wants us to give. And I believe, I'm just crazy enough to believe that when Jesus does bless me financially, he does so so that I will give back to those who he has entrusted under me in this community. Like those children who are wearing the shoes that you bought. Like the single moms that have the issues that we've dealt with. Like, and I could go on and on and on and on and on. ATM Jesus. It's interesting because the Bible that they preach out of is the same one that has Matthew 8, verses 19 and 20. And it says this, Matthew 8, it says, Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says this to him. He says, and here's, here's what's interesting. See, us, us teachers of religion, man, we can get high and mighty until we figure this out. But Jesus said, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. ATM Jesus. In Mark 10, 25, here's what it says. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. May you never take the blessings that Jesus bestows on you and look at him as an ATM. But a lot of us have created ATM Jesus. I'm pretty confident that before this is over, everyone's going to get their toes stepped on, and so let's keep trying. Number four, Sergeant Jesus. Sergeant Jesus. These are the people who see Jesus as this great military leader who's going to swoop in and destroy things by this military angelic force. I've seen people who wrap their Christianity in camouflage and somehow connect some recent military activity to Jesus. And I want you to know something. That in Jesus' day, there was a name for people that were religious and they wrapped it in military. They were called zealots. And Jesus had Simon the zealot as one of his disciples. Now, what did zealots do? They, they felt strongly that Israel should rise up and overthrow the Roman occupiers within their country. And they tried, by the way, to do that, by the way. They did. They tried to do it. 
The great Jewish revolt occurred in A.D. 66 and ultimately failed. They actually took over Jerusalem for a short time, but then the Romans crushed them. And in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed and has never been rebuilt. Don't you think, do you really think that Jesus did not have the power to call down an angelic host to come down and destroy everything with one word from his mouth. He did. But Sergeant Jesus doesn't exist. Just like ATM Jesus, genie in a bottle Jesus, and cotton candy Jesus. Sergeant Jesus doesn't exist. Let me show you how bad this stuff has gotten. Take a look at the picture that I found on a website. Can we show the Jesus with the machine gun? Look at that. Now let me say something to you. Leave that up there. This is not some kind of far, wacko, fringe website I got this from. This is a mainstream, normal website. These are all over, all over, all over the internet. And uh, listen, I've been to, and let me say something to you. I'm a hardcore Second Amendment guy. I just want to let everybody know that. I am, and everybody knows me, knows that. But I've been to, I've been to one of these trade shows, and these are all over the place. And when I went, it felt a whole lot like a church. I would call it a cult. But it felt really cultish. Because everything, and this is ridiculous. Sergeant Jesus is going to come, and because of this military event or that military event, you wrap it all up. But see, there's an issue. Mark 15, verses 3 through 5 says this. Mark 15, verses 3 through 5, it says, Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. He fulfilled the prophecy found in Isaiah 53, 7. It says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Jesus is not Sergeant Jesus. He's also not social justice Jesus. We create a social justice Jesus. Now this is where Jesus is only concerned for those who are oppressed and are in immediate need. And he is placed in certain social justice platforms. Good things like feeding the hungry, feeding the homeless, and and being, you know, a bottomless well for those who are in need. But here's the issue with social justice Jesus. His, Jesus' main concern on earth was not gender equality. He, he was concerned about gender equality. If you read the book of Luke, you can't miss that. He was. Because in the book of Luke, Jesus is seen as the suffering servant who, who he really loved and, and went to the marginalized. But in social justice, Jesus, all he's worried about is gender equality, racial equality, income equality, and on and on and on. 
Does Jesus care about those things? Yes, he does. Is that his main focus for a reason for coming? No, it's not. It's one of many. You see, the problem is, is that when you take one little fringe issue or you take one issue out of the multitude and you try to wrap Jesus only around that to the, to, to the detriment of other things, you miss who Jesus is. He cares about those things, but he doesn't only care about those things. Jesus isn't as worried about the environment as he is the condition of our hearts. He's worried about the environment of our hearts. Because he knows it's the hearts that will need to change before the social issues change. Is social justice good? Yes, it is. But you can't put Jesus in a box and condense him down to that. No, you can't do that. Because that's not exactly who he is. That's not all he is. A very close cousin to social justice Jesus is liberal Jesus. Liberal Jesus. That's where God is love and Jesus is all about love. Love, love, love. It's all love. It's all it is. You have sin in your life, that's okay. Jesus loves you anyway and he's just going to ignore it. He is because he's all about love. Do your beliefs directly go against what the Bible says? No problem. Jesus is about love, love, love. Ooey gooey Jesus. That's what he's about. Is your lifestyle directly against God's word? Well, you've come to the right place. No problem. This is liberal Jesus. He doesn't even care about your lifestyle. No problem. Do you proclaim to be a Christian, yet live your life and everything you stand for is directly against what the Bible says? No worries. This is liberal Jesus. He's just love. And that's all he is, is love. It's interesting in John chapter 8, and we're going to get to this in a couple of weeks. I want to read for you John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. There's a woman that's caught in, 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 in the act of adultery and says, Jesus had all the religious leaders that came and wanted to stone her, and Jesus challenged them. And then it says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she says, No, Lord. And then Jesus says, Good, I love you. Go about what you were doing before. Just go back and do whatever you were doing before. No, that's not what he says. You know what he says? He says, Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. We cut that part out, don't we? Liberal Jesus cuts that part out. They really do. Liberal Jesus forgets about the call for holiness and purity and obedience and faith. Liberal Jesus forgets about those things. They do. Liberal Jesus, and listen, I want you to tell you something that's so sad. There are churches, there are denominations that are allowing this liberal Jesus to reign in their churches, if you can even call them a church. It's a gathering, is what it is. I, I am so scared for the leaders of those congregations that have to answer for the false teachings that they teach and the omissions 
from this scripture that they refuse to address. I'm so sad for them. Because, man, I tell you what, it would be much easier for me to stand up here and tell you that adultery is okay and Jesus is going to love you. It would be really easy for me to stand up and tell you that homosexuality is okay and that Jesus is just going to love you. But that's a lie. It would be real easy for me to stand up here and say, hey, listen, it's okay if you're shacking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's okay. Jesus loves you anyway. That's a lie. He does love you. He loves you enough to discipline you. Just like you love your children enough to discipline them. And you can go down that road if you want to. And you can believe whatever you think someone's trying to try to vent you to believe. But the scripture has been here since the beginning of the age. And it's never changed and it never will. And you can change the culture, but you cannot change what this scripture says. You cannot change the word that was anointed and was given and that was written and that was given here for us so that we can understand God and know what he expects of us. Liberal Jesus. The other side of the coin, most of you thought you got away with it, didn't you? Republican Jesus. Let's talk about Republican Jesus. I figure I was stepping on everybody's toes. I would stomp on some of y'all's. Have you guys ever heard of Patriot Church? Patriot Church is located very close to heaven in Knoxville, Tennessee. It started in Knoxville, Tennessee. And their whole goal is to bridge the gap between Christianity and political change. This will shock you when I show you what, 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 what building Patriot Church, this will really be surprising to you when I say Patriot Church. Can you show the picture? That is Patriot Church. Not a lot of crosses, but a very large barn. There's three locations. A very large barn with an American flag on top. You may say, well, what, you leave that up there for a little bit. Well, you may say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong with that. Because when you take a Christian and you have a politician and you combine those, you get a politician. Every single time. Every single time. I want to remind you of something as you look at Patriot Church. I want to remind you of something. Listen, we are citizens of heaven first. First. If you put all of your trust and all of your thoughts into a political party, and you put all of your hopes and desires into the political party, what happens if that political party goes away? What happens if that country goes away? You are a citizen of heaven first. Your hopes, dreams, and on and on do not land in a political party. I want to be very clear with you about something. My hope is found on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
Do you have the right to be heard in the public square? You absolutely do have the right to be heard in the public square. I'm going to be heard in the public square. I'm not going to back down from anything. Do you have the right to vote? You absolutely do have the right to vote. And you should have the right to vote. And you should have the right to speak out. But your hope will never be found in a donkey or an elephant. Your hope is found in a cross. It's found in a cross. And time after time after time, when you put your hope in things that are not eternal, you end up angry, frustrated, and sad. And unfortunately, empty. It's okay to be politically involved. I'm politically involved. But I do not worship Republican Jesus. And I don't want this church to combine. Can you bring the, the, the picture back up? I don't want this church to combine American politics with Jesus. How demeaning that is to Jesus. How demeaning it is to him. We are simply at a time and a place and things will change. But one thing, one thing doesn't change. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified and died and rose again for me and you. So the question is, who is this king of glory? I was reading this week and I found this incredible. It's not really a poem. It's a, it's a, it's a conglomeration kind of, of, of scriptures and thought. And I thought it was so incredible about who is this king of glory. And I want to read it to you. It says this, who is this king of glory? He is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of his glory, and the exact representation of his nature. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. That's where Jesus is. He has explained him for God after he had spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the whole world, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being. That has come into being. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, God, for in the subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together, even me and you. He upholds all things by the word and by his power. And although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us in all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile toward us. He is taking it all out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, 
When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him for this reason. God has exalted him highly and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And it says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them was myriads upon myriads, and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb the blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever who is this king of glory that's who is this king of glory it's Jesus Christ our Lord that's who it is That's who it is. Don't ever, don't ever take a fake Jesus. Because the real one is just so good. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that we do not want to create these false Jesuses. Like the people in the scriptures in John. There's no confusion here, Lord. We know who you are. We know what you've done, and we know you're coming back. And so, God, we ask you, we ask you, Lord, to continually open our eyes and let us see that your response, what you're asking of us, is obedience. What you're asking of us is to pour ourselves out so that you, so that you can lift us up. God, we know what your word says. We obediently follow it. And God, you have promised blessings. Lord, we don't want to create something that's not you. Because the real you is just too incredible not to experience. Let us be a church here that raises the real Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand for our final worship song this morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.